Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Welcome back to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. This is the third episode in a series of episodes that we're doing with Volvo CE. We're here today again with Dr. Ray Gallant from Volvo Construction Equipment and Daniel Black from Volvo Energy. Ray, welcome back to the show. And Daniel, we've never met before, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so Daniel Black, I'm the product manager for charging solutions at Volvo Energy. I'm responsible for the the North American private charging product offering. So the charging equipment for all of our Volvo Group North America brands. Uh, that includes Volvo trucks, Mack trucks, Volvo construction, working a lot with, with Ray and the bus brands as well. So excited to be here and uh, yeah. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, you're actually the perfect guest for today because what we're going to be talking about is the variety of grid connected, off grid and portable charging products that are available for construction, heavy equipment and other kind of other applications in this industry. We're going to touch on how some of the innovative charging technology is benefiting both off road EVs and on road EVs. And then also on the heels of Volvo CE publishing its own brand agnostic software protocol for 48 volt offboard char- DC chargers so that other OEMs and suppliers can use it in the development of their own charging solutions. Ray is going to talk about the importance of collaboration throughout the industry and along the entire supply chain for progress and decarbonization and the technology that supports it. So, Ray, in the last episode, we talked about some of the landscape, some of the off-road equipment that was out there and what the future held. Can we, and and one of the things that we talked about was how we were trying to solve this problem of getting energy into the vehicles. And we talked a little bit about how a hundred years ago, it was getting diesel into a fuel tank and getting that tank out to the job site and some of the different things. And now we're kind of trying to reinvent that solution here. So with any kind of off-road solution, Charging is a top question. One of the things that we often say is just because you're working for the power company doesn't mean there's power where you are. You're often laying down the cable in order to get that, you know, that cable that energy will eventually flow through. What do you hear from other people in this space? What are you hearing from the other manufacturers who are kind of facing some of these same challenges and and ideally looking for solutions? I I think you described it well. The challenge that we have is that quite often our job sites are in remote areas. And, you know, in fact, quite often we're the ones preparing a site to bring power in. So by definition, power is not there when we start. So we have to be a little more creative. We cannot count on the public infrastructure being available on every one of the sites that we're going to go to. So we have to be a little more creative in the off-road sector on how we're going to get power to the machines. We basically look at three concepts to bring power to the machines. If you happen to be fortunate enough to have grid power available, of course, you can connect a charger to grid power and charge your machines from that. So that's a fairly easy, inexpensive solution. If a grid connection is not readily available at the job site, there is a possibility to take portable power to the machine. So that's the equivalent of a diesel fuel truck going out to the machine and fueling up your machines every day. 
Instead, you'd have a battery going out to the machine and charging DC battery to DC battery and recharging your machine that way. And finally, if neither one of those options are attractive, you can look at generating your own power on site. Microgeneration systems are now starting to appear that will be viable for certain sites in remote areas where power is just not available, readily available. So it seems like there's a lot of options there rather than just kind of bringing out the diesel generator, right? Which is, I think, one of the big, uh, you know, one of the big gotcha kind of things that people like to say. Um, are you finding that it's not as big of a hurdle as some people might have originally assumed three or four or five years ago? I think it's still a big hurdle. It's still something that we have to to deal with, but it's it's part of the transition and it, it you know, there are a lot of advantages to it as well. So one of the things that we're finding as we go through this journey in electrification is that we can design machines and sites that are a lot more energy efficient than their diesel, diesel counterpart part site would be. So if you just looked at replacing, you know, the number of horsepower you use with the equivalent kilowatt you're probably not taking advantage of some of the opportunities that electrification brings you. We see ways to get the energy usage way down, which of course brings the cost down, brings less pollution in terms of CO2 emissions. If you were running a diesel site, is quieter, is less noise, less vibration. All those advantages are, are and opportunities are part of the picture. So if you look at overall, then it starts to make sense to put in this additional infrastructure you're going to need. But, you know, again, it's still going to be a challenge in certain sites, certain locations to get these systems in place. So let me ask another kind of big picture question. As you're solving for all of this and you're figuring out ways to bring energy out to these remote locations, is that also informing your plans on the on-road side as to how to get infrastructure efficiently and cost effectively to you know the the big trucks and everything that you have on the road i would say yes yeah for sure so doing a lot of this investigation we have a lot of customers that have on-road trucks a lot of it's based out in california and we've gone through a lot of hurdles of customers not having the utility set up in time when they get their vehicle delivered so a lot of times you'll you'll get a truck much earlier than you actually have your charging stations ready to go. And that's where we start to kind of have some overlap there where some of these temporary or off-grids charging equipment needs to be put in place to get the customer through that, that early hurdle, right, of not having their own charging stations, but utilizing something that's maybe battery-based or something that's running on alternative fuel or things like that. So you're talking in that case, you're talking about something like a, a fuel cell generator, something like a battery electric storage system. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Those we, uh, we've used uh, CNG, things like that in the past as well. Depends on oh, the right. site, what they have access to. Yeah, no, and it hadn't occurred to me that there are alternative fuel solutions rather than just a diesel generator that, that can be For much sure. cleaner, much quieter much more cost effective as well correct so yeah, yeah really- for, some, for some customers you even have and a lot of sites depending on what's happening at the site may already have natural gas coming from their utility 
and that can create a, a good opportunity in this bridge or interim time. Yeah. So there's going to be sites out there that may have gas support, may have natural gas that don't have access to electricity quite yet, or at least not electricity at the scale that is needed to charge eight or nine assets. Correct. Yeah. Cause we were talking about, you know, megawatts of power that a customer would need to, to bring on to their site. So in this interim, how do you support that kind of movement to this carbon-free transportation and things like that? Uh, the energy isn't always just as easy to, to install from a utility perspective. Hello, cleantech enthusiasts. If you enjoy cleantech talk and cleantechnica, please consider pitching in a few dollars a month at cleantechnica.com slash support. That's cleantechnica.com slash support, where you can sign up in seconds with a credit card, pitch in a few dollars a month or whatever you like. Some people actually contribute $100 a month to help us cover climate change and clean tech and try to help the world one word at a time. Thank you. Right. So, you know, we, we started off talking kind of bigger picture, right? Now we're getting getting down more towards the 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 actual on-site thing. So when it comes to charging, you know, electric construction equipment and and you know big trucks and buses and things like that, let's let's get down to the most basic. So how has how is most electric equipment in the market today charged? So we go to great lengths to make sure that our charging systems, our machines can run off the same chargers as automotive and truck are going to run off. So the same standard plugs that they use in those other industries, we need to have available for our machines as well. So if you have a charger for your car, for an EV or for a machine or for a truck, you can easily charge your machine using the same charger, same infrastructure as that. The other thing to consider in machines in particular, we have two types of battery systems. We have 48 volt battery systems, which are relatively low power batteries for use in our smaller machines. And then you have the 600 volt battery systems for use in trucks and heavier equipment that is for higher power and faster recharge times. With those different systems, of course, you have different recharge requirements for your or different power requirements for your chargers as well. So a 48-volt system, you can plug into a household outlet and get an overnight charge. You can plug into a 240 EMA plug, similar to what you'd have for a, a range in your house, and charge from that. Or you can go to a wall standard wall charger for an EV and plug in with a J plug. Those are all AC power sources and the machines have onboard converters that convert those and charge dc or finally you could have a dc charger that charges dc direct into your battery pack and that's a fast charge method when you get to the larger equipment of course the power requirements are much higher so you generally will go to a dedicated dc fast charger your time to charge of course depends on how powerful the DC fast charger is and how much power you have available to feed it. Uh, but the math is pretty simple. If you have a 250 kilowatt hour battery pack and you have a 50 kilowatt an hour charger, pretty easy to figure out how long it's going to take to recharge. Yeah, I think the the infrastructure, if, if you're familiar with, with driving an EV car, 
for your household, a lot of our DC charging stations are very similar to what you would see at an Electrify America or an EVgo. If you go to one of those stations, that's typically what the, the highway truck customers have installed at their own depot. So essentially imagine that as your home charger or the, the same charger that you would plug your car in in your garage. They're using that size of charger to charge their vehicles overnight because our battery packs are you know upwards of 500 kilowatt hours. So your standard home wall outlet really doesn't have enough power to charge one of those vehicles overnight. Right, you can't charge a twenty-ton excavator in the uh, in the garage next to the golf cart. But you know, yeah, it, it's exactly. <laughs> you you mentioned the depot, and I think that that's worth bringing up. And I'm going to go a little bit off of our uh, outline here to ask this question. A lot of equipment fleets, a lot of equipment managers do have a depot that these machines go back to, or that at least the trucks go back to at night, whether it's to reload or to have new loads put in or to switch drivers, and they're plugged in. So this is a very different kind of logistical scenario than, you know, an over the road type system, right? Because there's multiple, there's a, a number of different ways that assets can be deployed throughout a fleet. When you talk about these assets and when you talk about how a fleet manager can figure out the logistics for this, how often are you seeing that these machines are staying out on the job site? for days and days on end versus going back and forth to a depot? Like are people who are early adopters in the electric equipment space trying to keep it kind of close to home so they do have access to the depot? Are they doing like little pilot trips or are they diving right in with both feet and sending these things out into the wild? So what, what we're seeing with the smaller equipment is a fairly high proportion does actually go back to the depot or go back to a spot where they can do an overnight AC charge. And that seems to be kind of the way of working on heavy equipment. And of course, the larger you go, the more it's the case that it will stay out on site. They're very difficult to transport, sometimes requiring being dismantled for transport because of weight restrictions. So you generally don't want to bring those back and forth to a depot they will stay on site for the duration of the job. Yeah. And um, what do you do if you're on, if you're part of a construction crew who has these machines on site, they're not practical, feasible to tear down and take back to the depot every night, but there is no plug nearby. We talked a little bit about some of the different, the three pronged approach to getting energy out to the site. Can you talk a little bit more about those charging solutions for companies that are way off grid? So that's, uh, as I was saying earlier, we have three concepts. If you have a grid connection and you can plug in a charger, it's fairly easily that you can get out to your machine and get it recharged. If you have to bring portable power, i.e. a battery pack out to your machine, that battery pack still has to be charged from somewhere. Right. So it has to be refilled itself. It's like a fuel tank. So you know, when the fuel tank's empty, you have to bring it back to a fuel depot and fill it up. Same thing with electricity. And then finally, you have the microgeneration. But one of the things that I need to point out here is that our thinking in the industry has to change around how we treat and deal with these things. We're used to a diesel infrastructure where at the end of the shift, a fuel truck would come in and basically every machine gets refueled within half an hour or an hour time 
and they all get topped up and are ready to go for the next shift or the next day. That's not the thinking we need for electric. First of all, if you're going to buy these chargers or battery packs, you're going to want to use them, have them employed as much as possible. So you don't want all your machines showing up and each having to have a dedicated charger to plug in at the same time every day. You want to use one charger and charge multiple machines. So you're going to be staggering your machine shifts during the day in a way you didn't with your diesel equipment. That also allows you to take advantage of the charging cycle, which is very, very fast when your battery's between 20 and 80%, say, but slows down drastically when you get up to almost full. So you don't want to be have your machine plugged into a charger waiting for it to go from 90 to 95%, because that'll be a lot a very inefficient use of your charger assets. So you want to use them and schedule your charging time when the machines can most efficiently charge. The third point around that is that, you know, even if you're going to use diesel generators to generate the power, today we bring in diesel generators and they're basically sized to the peak power requirement because if you need 185 kilowatts on your site to run the site, you need to have that instantaneously available. But quite often, you don't need that 24 hours a day. You only need that for a short period of time. And you end up running a very, very large generator very inefficiently because you're only drawing a small amount of power from it. So with these battery systems that we're talking about, and they're redesigning the power structure, the energy structure in a site, we can look at putting much smaller generators on, whether they be natural gas, fuel cell, diesel, whatever, and charging, trickle charging a battery pack. And then that battery pack can rapidly fast charge the machine. So it's all, again, a different dynamic of what assets you're gonna want on site, how you're gonna schedule them. And the point is to try to make the maximum use of the assets across all the machines on site and your site power as well. Yeah. And you make a really good point that there's a lot of logistics that are unique to the fuel type. For example, you know, if we're calling electricity, electric fuel, if you're doing compressed natural gas, you can fast fill a CNG tank, but that increases the temperature. So you can only fill it to about 80%. So these are things that all need to be taken into consideration with the EV charging, you're absolutely right that it takes so much less time to get from 20 to 80 sometimes than it takes to get from 80 to hundred. What are some of the tools that are available, whether it's telematics, whether it's software, whether it's uh, charging software, charging management solution, what are some of the tools that are available for fleet managers on the ground or, or fleet drivers on the ground to be able to understand what the state of charge is for each of these machines and keep swapping them out so that they're making best use of the uh, charging infrastructure that you are able to bring out to a job site. And, and I think that's where the telematics on both the chargers and the machines come into play because we can gather that information. We can plot the energy usage on site. We can adjust the schedules and the charging in real time on site using some of the programs that we're developing specifically for electric machine management on these sites. So that's at this point, a young 
immature tool, but you're starting to see the first versions of that come out. And we're working with a lot of customers to actually learn the inputs we need and how to do this, this planning and the, the logistics around site charging to make it as efficiently as possible, as efficient as possible for the contractor. And again, the, the purpose is to get the energy down as low as possible on the site, the overall energy usage, save costs that way, but also make your assets much more viable in terms of their duty cycles and use. While you mentioned duty cycles and use, and, and part of all of this involves the runtime of the vehicles, right? Because 80% charge, we can talk about that as a function of battery, but is 80% charge enough to get through a shift? Is that enough to get the uh, runtime that you need to have it make sense? Ray, can you talk a little bit about how long people can expect their electric machines to run on a full charge or on an 80% charge? So right now we plan the machines to run between four to four and a half hours of work time. Unlike a diesel machine, when the machine is idling, when it's not actually doing productive work, there's no energy loss. So on a diesel machine, you're idling, you're still burning fuel. On an electric machine, the machine literally shuts off while you're not doing work with it. So that four to four and a half hours will do most of the shifts that we encounter most of the typical duty cycles, but not all. So we are looking at solutions for opportunity charging, which is a fast charge during the day. So the, the ability to bring a, a small battery pack out and very rapidly recharge machines. We are looking at different trickle charge solutions uh, for machines that would give you a constant trickle charge into your batteries so that you don't run out during the day. For these special applications where you actually need a much higher power draw than the typical 80% of the duty cycles we encounter. But again, these technologies are developing. They aren't all available on the market yet, but we are working on them and recognize that that is one of the limitations right now of the state of the technology. Exactly. Now, I'm going to ask a question a little bit off script again, but uh, you know, if you don't want to answer it. That's okay. But if you, I, I know you like to answer questions, you're a tech guy. When you look at some of the larger fleets that are out there, you see a lot of mixed fleets. You see Volvo equipment working alongside, you know, Cabelco or Komatsu stuff. As all of these different manufacturers start coming out with electric equipment, are you finding that there's a collaboration, that there's a collaborative spirit in common charging infrastructure? And do you think that there's going to be something similar with that kind of charging telematics? Or do you think that that's something that as, as we develop the technology, that kind of collaborative spirit also needs to develop? I think the, the collaborative spirit is there. We're getting good cooperation with some of our peer companies not so much in developing these systems, but in making sure that we align the common standards and common measures as much as possible. Now, having said that, I mean, the, the commonality in a McLeet site we usually talked about will actually be the charging system. Right. Because the machines, whether it's a CAT, the case, Komatsu, a Deer, a Volvo, the machine doesn't care where the electrons come from, what, where the volts and amps are generated from. Uh, all they care about is that 
they have a full battery pack and they're able to go to work. So the common denominator that we can look at is the charging system. And as long as we have good telematics on that, you can start to control and plan the logistics on your site for all machines, regardless of the the make manufacturer and the telematics on the machine. So it really is the energy flow that we're concerned about controlling. Now, obviously, when you get a higher uh, integration between the telematics on the machine and the telematic with the energy flow, then you can start to do calculations like productivity per kilowatt, you know, tons of gravel move per kilowatt of uh, energy use. All these measures become available. But again, to start out, the common denominator is that you're putting in volts and amps into a machine, you're to- transferring kilowatts of power. That's really what we we need to know and understand to manage these sites in the beginning. And then we can refine from there as we go forward. Right. So we're talking a lot about you know the opportunity charging, the fast charging, the ability to trickle charge between that you know 80 and 100%. And there's been a lot of conversation in the electric car space about the use of fast charging to get it up to 100%, that that degrades the battery and that over time, the battery capacity is not there. So you'd get 250 miles of range. And after three or four years, you might get 220 miles of range. And eventually it gets to the point where it becomes less practical as a vehicle. What are you guys seeing in terms of battery cycles and you know because again we're not using a conventional measurement like miles or hours we're talking about cycles and hours of work right so what are you seeing in terms of battery life in these early days and what happens to the batteries after they've gone to like let's say 75 or 80 percent capacity so the battery life for the for the commercial highway vehicles is what i've been working on for the past five years or so. The the vehicle is really designed, uh, I would say, a lot around the batteries. I mean, a lot of what the customers can actually do with the vehicle and things like that. We pretty well know the mileage that you can put on a vehicle in the five-year lifespan of the typical first, first vehicle owner. And so a lot of this is designed around that and, and working with our battery suppliers and things like that to make sure that we can get the utmost productivity. But I would say at a higher level, what Volvo Energy is here to do within the Volvo group is to ensure that we have a good circularity model for mm-hmm. all of these battery electric vehicles that we have out there. So looking at you know when should a, a battery come off of a vehicle and be converted into some level of second life application or optimally be recycled and things like that, so that our customers can have the the highest level of productivity with their vehicles and equipment, and we can make sure that the the battery receives its highest potential when it comes to you know, all the decarbonization solutions and things like that to to really improve our environment and reduce our footprint for sure. So when you talk about second life, I mean, I think you know there's going to be some listeners who understand immediately what that means. There's going to be some others who go, "What does that mean? Are we talking about second life, the online, you know, uh, simulated society, or are we talking something else?" So <laughs> can you give us a little bit? That's a deep cut for people who were around in like 2005. 
Can you give us a little bit more for people who may not be as familiar with the term? What is a battery's second life? What does that mean? So the so the battery's second life is really what what does that battery do after its initial intended purpose? So the initial intended purpose when that battery was created was to go on a machine or on a on a, on a highway vehicle and used uh, in that application. So then we look at, you know, the state of health of that battery and where it is in its life cycle and determine when does that come off of a vehicle and go into a ground storage application to provide grid support for your local utility or provide battery backups for uh, warehouses and facilities that have critical uptime, like thinking like data centers and things like that, where uptime is a is a big discussion point. You can't have your data centers going down and then now you've lost all access to your data. Lots of these replacing applications where diesel generators were commonplace, right? Where you would use uh, a Volvo Penta generator or Generac or something like that to keep your facility up and running. Now you can start to replace that with batteries that are coming off of vehicles that still have lots of useful life left in them, but maybe not for a highway levels of application. Sure, but they can power a hospital. They can power a, Correct. you know, a, a, a data center is, a, I think, a, a great a, an answer for that because they they kind of live and die based on uptime, right? For sure. If you're ninety seven percent uptime, you're trash. You gotta be ninety nine point nine nine seven. And just yeah, to so, add to that, yeah, for, please. For heavy equipment, we look at about eighty percent state of health is when the batteries are suitable for use in machine life. And then after that, we're looking at Volvo Energy to give us options for second life usage and second life on the batteries. Now, if you take that 80% state of health and the number of deep charge cycles that that would take, that for us is anywhere between six and 10 years before you'd be oh, wow. looking at replacing the batteries. And that's if you basically deep cycle charged a lot. So if you go into the type management, like I was talking about, and do more short cycle charging, that's much easier on the batteries, and that's going to extend your life well beyond that six to 10-year estimate. Yeah, that's that's impressive. You know, we're talking a lot about some of these charging solutions that you guys are, are using now and putting into the field today, and, you know, how you're looking towards Volvo Energy to give you solutions with the batteries as they reach the end of their cycle. So I guess this might be a question for Daniel. What are some of the new charging solutions that are on the horizon that people should know about and that fleet managers should be looking at and being aware of? So uh, on the horizon, really what's coming up for commercial highway is the megawatt charging system or MCS Volvo has been uh, very much a part of the Charin community, developing the standard, working with SAE, working with all the other international standards committees to, to really bring together this um, new charging standard that's really designed for heavy equipment. It's designed for, for large batteries. It's designed to transfer m multiple megawatts of power into a vehicle so that uh, we can have that same highway charging experience that passenger cars have today where you show up to a you know an electrify america station or an EV go station and you can within 10 minutes really get back on the road with quite a bit of range uh, we need 
essentially multiples of that. So make scaling that up by 10x because that's what our vehicles take and that's what the uh, the battery capacities are uh, on these vehicles and machines. So really that's what's coming next and that's what's enabling a lot of these public charging scenarios and solutions. Today, a lot of our customers and operators are doing all depot or very custom charging situations on their actual sites. They can't act, they can't go use public infrastructure or uh, multi-use infrastructure because it's not designed for for the size of the vehicles or for the application that we're that we're rolling into. Okay. Ray, anything to add to that? No, I think you you pretty well covered it. You know, again, we're looking at larger and larger vehicles that are going to require more power. Eventually you run out of Basically, the limitations, you run into the limitations of batteries being the cost and the weight to run those very, very high power. So then we're looking at different technologies to supplement this. So you might have, you know, hydrogen fuel cell, you might have grid connected machines, you might have alternate fuels coming into play. So a number of different low or zero emission strategies that could power these machines. So, but battery electric definitely is a big key part of it. So uh, you bring up a good point. You talk about as the machines get bigger and, you know, when you talk about the DD 25 electric, that's a, you know, 6,100 pounds. You look at the, uh, the ECR, the electric excavators, they kind of max out again at that 61, 6,200 pounds. And then you get into the wheel loaders. They're right around 10,000 pounds. So these are, this is heavy equipment in the, in the sense that it's several times bigger than a passenger car. But there are still much, much bigger machines on a job site or on on some job sites. Do you see that there's kind of a line in the sand in terms of big equipment where it becomes more practical to go hydrogen versus battery electric? Or is it just a case of developing out the energy density in the batteries to make it make sense for larger equipment? I, I think there there is a line. There is a you know, you can only do so much with the battery chemistry and the density before you will hit a wall. And we, you know, when we talk about that small equipment you were just talking about, you know, you're only in the 40, 20 to 40 kilowatt hour range Correct. Uh, for the batteries. When you talk about the 230 electric 23 ton uh, excavator, you're still only in 250 to 400 kilo kilowatt hours. We have a plenty of pieces of equipment out there that run thousands of kilowatt hours in their daily cycles. So once we get into those, I think we have to look at different sites for two reasons. One, as I said, the batteries, you know, you just will not be able to run it on batteries because of the weight and the, the um, expense of it. But secondly, you can't get the charging time down to where you need it uh, when you're putting over those extreme amount of power. So other fuel sources are going to have to come into play and be part of the solution in the off-road. Daniel, you can comment on on-road, but I think you're also looking at different scenarios there. Correct. It'll, it'll be a lot of, it'll be a mixture, right? Battery electric will have its place in a, in a lot of different areas. Hydrogen will also have its place. Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure rollout that's that's going on right now, and that'll um, dictate a lot of what customers and and fleets are doing because um, a lot of times today fleets don't have access to to hydrogen 
um, readily, but they do have access to electricity from their utility. So battery electric uh, makes a lot of sense right now. That could flip or you know change as we move forward in the future and more of these technologies exist a more mainstream manner that enables us to then transition or use more hydrogen fuel versus uh, electricity fuel, as you mentioned, as you uh, <laughs> phrased it earlier. Yeah, but I mean, today, I think that's the right way to look at it, right? Like it, it's, yeah. there are different fuels and they all have their own challenges. Exactly. exactly. So we're coming a, a little bit to the end of our time commitment here. Ray, Daniel, thank you so much for uh, being a part of the show. And Ray, you've done, you and I have done several episodes. So if you're listening to this, Go back and check out the other episodes that we did for the uh, Volvo CE series. You can find that on our website in our uh, branded series section. But to wrap it up, I'd love to hear from each of you where you think we're headed with electric uh, heavy equipment and batteries in, in the next, you know, the, the years ahead, whether it's five or 10 years from now, as we move into, uh, you know, California's zero emission mandates and some of the, uh, the other zero emission mandates in other states. I think it's a really cool time to be in this space, right? Everything's evolving very quickly. We're trying to to cover a lot of ground in a short period of time because customers and, and fleets are used to using diesel vehicles like diesel vehicles, right? I, I fuel it up, it takes 10 minutes to fuel up and I can do whatever I need to do with it. And now we're helping the the transition of maybe the the routes structure needs to change a little bit to match the the infrastructure. But also on the flip side of that coin, from a development standpoint, there's really a lot of push to to have these vehicles uh, be diesel-like in the way that they fuel, being very quick to fuel, um, looking at you know the, the balance of energy storage on the vehicle versus how much payload or weight you can actually move around with the vehicle. So it's a it's an exciting space that's um, developing so much, and I think it's you know it's it's impossible for me to predict what we were what we're going to see in 10 years because so many things change even month to month um, at this that's point. true that's true now you said something really interesting you said fleets are used to using diesel vehicles like diesel vehicles and i think that's a critical point because we look back 100 years you know which we, we do have photographic evidence we do have you know literature and, and print from 100 years ago and when people first started using automobiles they started using automobiles the way that people had been using horses. So you had a horseless, you know, you had a, 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 a taxi cab that was a horse pulling a wagon. Then you had a taxi cab that was a car doing these routes. And it wasn't until several years later that we started using cars like cars and right. had highways and built these a much more national nationwide transportation grid. So I think that's a very critical statement and we we glossed over it but i mean i think that in and of itself is worth exploring this idea of using a diesel vehicle like a diesel vehicle and a battery vehicle like a battery vehicle so now that we've loaded this up with 120 years of context ray why don't you take us home well i think that's a good point to build on that a little bit we've you know we've gotten used to the way we do things and the part of the challenge of this transformation is those habits some of them are going to have to change and as we change them, if you think about it, you know, right now on every job site, every area around the world that we run fleets, we run two different infrastructures. We run a liquid petroleum infrastructure and we run electrical infrastructure in our job sites. 
So in the future, one of the advantages of this is we're going to go down to one infrastructure, but we have to figure out how to use that properly and how to control it properly and take advantage of it and make sure we have enough energy to power the sites. But if you think about after the transition's done, it's actually going to be a simpler picture because all your energy comes from one infrastructure source. So yeah. as long as you make sure that that infrastructure source is properly sized and you have the logistics figured out for how to use it, it will actually become a simpler equation when everything is electrified, when your trailers, your computers, your phone, your machines, your cars, your trucks all run off electricity, it becomes a much easier infrastructure question to make that that uh, site work. Well, and especially if you're using like that, as you mentioned before, that brand agnostic charging telematics. So now you've got that all figured out. You can almost simulate it before you go out on the job site. I know I'm going to have these assets out there. I know they're going to work in these shifts. This is what that's going to look like. And you can show up on site with a plan. Exactly. Exactly. And you plan it all out in advance. So, you know, when everything's charging, how much electricity they're having to get on board to finish your shift or to do the work that's in front of them. All those things can be planned and controlled in real time and adjusted in real time. So the, the sites of the future are going to be a lot more efficient using these new tools than the previous sites were. Yeah, a lot quieter too. <laughs> a lot quieter and hopefully right. cheaper. That, yeah, absolutely. Ray, Daniel, this was absolutely awesome. For those of you who have listened to this, you want to follow along with what these guys are doing. They're doing incredible work. I like to follow Volvo Construction Equipment, Volvo Energy, Volvo Group on LinkedIn. What are some of the other social media sites or websites that they can go to to uh, you know keep track of what you guys are up to? I think that covers the gamut. I work a lot with the, the Volvo Trucks team, so Volvo Trucks US, and of course, Mac, Mac Trucks as well. Oh yeah, we just picked up a Mac Anthem. It's real nice. Yeah, <laughs> definitely worth. You can always hop on our websites. All our news articles are posted on the websites as well. Right, and that's volvoce.com/slash/united-states is the one that I always end up at. So uh, definitely yeah. check that out, guys. Thanks for listening. Be sure to uh, you know subscribe. You can listen to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and uh, you know wherever you get podcasts. Pause that there. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,